0: Well, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is, as I told you last week, a sermon delivered by a preacher, obviously, and the preacher of the sermon in Hebrews is distressed. The sermon is a declaration, a theological declaration of somewhat of his emotional distress that so soon people who had allegedly come to know Christ were falling away. They had left a dead end religion and had moved into Christianity and were defecting from the faith. Now, that kind of situation is not unique to that time, it is somewhat carried over into each generation. People at first come to church all the time, they somehow encounter Christ or allegedly encounter Christ, come to church regularly excited about things like that, and then occasionally start to miss church, and then it's more hit and miss, and eventually it's total miss and disappear, and some never come back. The problem, of course, is highlighted in this particular sermon from... um, A statement that's made in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 whereby he says uh, we have so we have so easily forgotten what we have heard well what had they heard and what had they forgotten the thing that most of us already know because most of us in here have probably been hanging out in Christianity for a while that Christianity can be annoying It can be difficult. It can be painful. It can be very inconvenient. It can be very costly. It's regularly populated by silly people, like me, who are annoying. So something more than Christianity has to hold us It's interesting that um, the delivery of sermons has not changed all that much. Although, if you take the time to read all of Hebrews, all 13 chapters, you will find it's a very long sermon. Very um, high level theology and doctrine. But one of the things that is common and continues is that at the front end of a sermon, the introduction usually sets. The table for what the rest of the sermon is all about it really a good sermon should establish the so what of what god is trying to get across it's not not just a an exchange of information but rather it's a revelation of the truth about god and so what should we do about it and so the preacher of hebrews we don't know who he was he delivered this sermon sometime in the mid-60s A.D. to Rome, likely a church in Rome. But he is giving us, in the introduction of his sermon, the basic problem that explains the falling away, the defection, the deconversion, if that's even possible, by some sort of a problematic vision of the truth. It would appear, and I discussed this a little bit last week, that many were being converted to Christianity, but perhaps they weren't converted to Christ. I think without exception, any of us who have been on this journey for a while in terms of following the Lord know that somewhere in our life, we have to face I'm stealing this idea from the title of a book, The Crisis of the Christ. If you trace the characters throughout the Scriptures, the Bible characters throughout the Scriptures, there was always some sort of life-transforming encounter with the living God. Moses, for instance, was... Challenged by God, and you remember he said, "Uh, I can't speak. I'm not very good at what you're asking me to do. And and God said to him, who made your mouth, Moses? We follow a little bit longer, Abraham. Abraham encounters God. He's called out of his family, out of his household, out of his, his land, his country, to go to a place that God says, I'll show you. Isaiah gets a great vision of the splendor of God. If we fast forward to the time of the disciples, you'll remember that Peter and Jesus had an encounter with one another. And Jesus said to Peter, Do you love me more than these? For me, there was a challenge whereby I, at, like you, had made a serious commitment to the Lord, living a Norman Rockwell life in Guelph. And the Lord simply put the question to me, Is your family more important is your city more important is your home church more important Rick do you love me do you love me I would submit to you that the only sure protection from defection falling away deconversion if that's even possible is your passionate love for Jesus Christ true conversion is not to a religion it's not to Christianity true conversion is to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life if I have to get up here and beg you to serve the Lord with all of your heart. If I have to get up here and beg you to come to church and worship the Lord on a regular basis, if, if I have to get up here and beg you to, to, to take of your finances and be generous to the Lord Jesus Christ, if I have to get up here and beg you to be baptized to demonstrate that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if I have to get up here and beg you to, to give over your talents and your abilities to serve the Lord and advance His kingdom, then you don't know my Jesus. You don't. And that's the deal here with the preacher. He's asking the question, do you know my Jesus? That's what chapter 1 is all about. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Heard about what? Or more particularly, heard about whom? If If you're losing confidence in your your um, position in Christianity, if you're wondering whether you should stay the course, if you're wondering whether you should go back to the religion of the past, if you're wondering if you should bail, he's saying you you maybe haven't paid careful enough attention to what you heard about Jesus because if you knew Jesus like I know Jesus, you wouldn't even be thinking about leaving. Father... when we come together and in particular highlight the superior reality of Jesus Christ the the majesty and glory of the Lord we know that there are many distractions many obstacles many evil interventions that would attempt to dissuade us and distract us to blind us to plug our ears because we have maybe not carefully listened to what we have heard lord today i'm asking that by the power of the holy spirit every single being in this place would listen very very carefully to what we are about to hear Our very eternal destiny is always on the balance in this truth. The truth about our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Marshall Siegel, who's the managing director of the Desiring God Ministry, John Piper's organization wrote this in a blog recently that I quite frankly has been perhaps one of the more profound things that I've been thinking about and dwelling on for a long time since I read it back in March of this year. Many wander from Jesus because he never had first place in their hearts. He simply complimented or facilitated things they wanted more than him. Growing up in a Christian home, this hit me very, very specifically. It is highly possible that we have been coasting along in the Christian context, hanging out with Jesus and his people, not because we loved him but because it's familiar it's family it's the social thing to do it's the sunday habit i i can't remember ever a time in my life not coming to church every sunday i can't remember a time in my life and so there's a lot of reasons why people hang out at church they're lonely they're looking for friendships they're looking for a place to belong they're looking for status they're looking for a place to exercise some of the abilities they have they're looking for family they're looking for security maybe they're just simply trying to please a mate that's not Christianity Christianity is a life-transforming relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that come thick or thin will stick and stand the course. So my question to you this morning is, do you know my Jesus? I'm going to steal a sermon this morning. In fact, I'm going to steal a sermon every single week for the next number of weeks. I'm just taking the preacher's introduction today, I'm just going to tell you all about it. If you have your Bibles, would you please open to Hebrews chapter 1? Let me tell you about my Jesus. The first four verses, by the way, are one sentence. This is the most phenomenal introduction I've ever read to a sermon, right here. In one, in one sentence, the first sentence, it's like a knockover, wow, I can't believe what this guy said. It's incredible. It's incredible obviously directed by the Holy Spirit. In the past, it is so filled with doctrine and theology. In some, of, in some of it, I don't dare to even wade into because I'm not, it's above my pay grade. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, in these last days, we're in the last days, They were in the last days. The last days have been rolling along for 2,000 years. What does the last days mean? Very simply means that these are the days of fulfillment of promise. That's what we live in. There were promises made over 1,500 years. God made promises, and now all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. These are the last days when Jesus was inaugurated as King of the universe. At his ascension, the last days are unfolding. Now we are receiving the fulfillment of the promises. That's why we're going to read in Hebrews, they all looked forward to the promises, not realizing the promises that were to come. That's where the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. One sentence wow, is that packed or what? And then he spends nine verses after that filling out more detail of the doctrine that he's provided in these first four verses. So we'll go back and forth. I going to spend a lot of time showing you the structure of that, but I'm going to embed it in how, how I preach this because I think it's how, I know it's how he preached it because it's sitting right looking at us. As we launch in, I want to I look at six things. There are so many more, but I just want to look at, sit quickly at six things that will tell us something about Jesus, all right, this morning. Now, before we, we get into this, there's some angel thing going on that, that I don't totally understand, and most of the commentators don't really totally understand, but they understood, because there's a lot of talk about this in this first introduction about angels. And But one thing that we can tell for sure is that somehow... The writer or the preacher of the sermon of hebrews is is setting jesus christ uh over against angels and saying basically no contest now I, I presume that in some ways uh we'll understand as we look at the first verse here about what the how the angels fit into that in the past he contrasts in the past with these last days so here's the first thing about that we learn about jesus Now there's no more middlemen. No more middlemen. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through middlemen. Prophets. Who were, and regularly the revelation of God was mediated through the angels to prophets. You know that as you read through the scripture. In fact, the birth of Jesus Christ was gloriously proclaimed by angels as they danced in the heavens and proclaimed the glory of God. Regularly, angels were mediating the revelation of God and so I have to think that the the, the preacher here is saying look at I, I know what you know about the past keep in mind this is an Old Testament audience he's an Old Testament preacher he knows the Old Testament theologies I know you know about angels and and their role and how they mediated revelation to to the people and and uh, but in these In these last days, we're looking at something different. So, in the former days, in the past days, there were various prophets. Notice what the text says. Various times over 1,500 years and various ways in which the revelation of God was presented to humans various ways there was dreams there were visions there were mighty acts of god there was breathtaking theophanies where god himself appeared that was and there's more ways than that so in those days there's various prophets various times various ways but in these last days the revelation of God is one way through the person and work of Jesus Christ as recorded in the canonized scriptures. That's what he's saying. That's what the preacher's declaring here. That the person and work of Christ is the final revelation of God. We have 15 years of progressive, what we call progressive revelation, where increasingly the people were encountering and learning more and more about God. In these last days, the revelation of God is now complete in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the declaration here. So, um i see therefore no biblical warrant or support for a so-called modern-day prophetic ministry of new revelation there is no biblical support for that the final revelation of god is in the person and work of jesus christ period i discount and pay no attention to anybody who's taking an old testament approach to Revelation, because the preacher has declared that's not so in the former days, in these last days, which we are presently living in. And he's basically saying, truth completed, no contest between Christ and angels. Secondly, he moves along here and he says, the Father God has appointed the Son as heir of all things. Jesus owns it all. We want to understand about Jesus? Jesus owns it all. The Son was always, in the Old Testament, the Son was always the heir of the Father's possessions. And so the declaration here by the preacher is that Jesus Christ owns it all. You think, you know, it's it's really, to be honest, it's, it's tragic, a bit laughable, a bit ridiculous that, that we should be discussing with each other the, the allocation of our, of our finances and our possessions in terms of the work of God. Don't we realize that Jesus owns everything that we have? We've only been appointed stewards of what he, what he has given to us. Everything that you possess is a, is a possession first and foremost of Jesus Christ that's what there's a beautiful insight in the book of Revelation that helps us to understand that in this whole um inheritance reality Revelation chapter 5 and 6 talks about the seals where where in in fact there's this great drama that's played out in heaven that that John has been given privy to have a vision of and it's played out whereby Jesus Christ by the way is the center of worship attention in heaven. The Lamb of God is the center of attention. And there's this lament that John sees this vision and he's weeping and saying, who, as they're declaring in heaven, who is worthy to open the seals of the will and testament of the Father? It's the will and testament of the Father of the whole universe, the earth, the heavens and the earth, which he is willing and handing over as an inheritance to the Son, And so you have this drama played out. And in Revelation 5, uh, one of the elders in heaven comes along and says, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, in Roman times, when when a will was made... The will was to be rolled up and it was to be sealed seven times. With each roll, it was sealed. And you rolled it again and sealed it. You rolled it and you sealed it. To to make certain that it was authentic and legitimate and it couldn't be tampered with, to get through seven seals is a big deal. And so, the will and testament of this picture of Roman time is that God has, has actually taken the universe, the heavens and the earth, and he's rolled them in a scroll with seven seals. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 6, you see the unfolding of, um, of the opening of the seals in, in the tribulation as one by one, Jesus Christ makes declaration that he is worthy to open the seals of ownership of the universe, the heavens, and the earth as it unfolds in chapter 6 and 7, the seven seal judgments. So you have here this God possessing, possessing everything, that Jesus Christ owns it all. John MacArthur in his uh, Hebrew Hebrews commentary uh, quotes uh, someone, as he calls him, because he doesn't know who it is, and, and I'm not sure who it is either, maybe, maybe you know, but someone has said this, that Jesus Christ came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became son of man that we might become sons of god he was born contrary to the laws of nature lived in poverty was reared in obscurity and and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born and that in his childhood he had no wealth or influence and had neither training nor education in the world's schools his relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential in infancy he startled a king in boyhood he puzzled the learned doctors in manhood he ruled the course of nature He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the world could not hold the books about him. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, and the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him, Satan could not seduce him, death could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. Do you know my Jesus? That's who he is. Come on you have not been paying attention to what you have heard the preachers saying come on the rich young ruler came along to jesus and jesus said to him he asked what 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 more do i need what more do i have to do and he said take your money and give it to the poor and what happened it says he went away sad because he had great wealth he didn't have great wealth he was the steward of great wealth he had Jesus' wealth. Listen, Jesus had every right to say to him, go and give my money to the poor on my mission. That's what it means to own everything. I met an incredibly wealthy, I, I met an incredibly wealthy guy. when, when a, Jim and I, when we were in Singapore, incredibly wealthy Christian, unbelievably wealthy Christian, the, the, the richest guy I've ever met in my entire life just one facet of what he's got going on he's got 150 millions in microfinancing in in cambodia he took us out in his 65-foot yacht for a ride not to show off it's just what he has he has gazillions and gazillions of dollars and invests it and pours it abundantly into god's work god keeps blessing him with more and more and he keeps pouring it into the work and the mission of Christ. One of the guys who was there said to me, Do you, have you ever heard this guy's story? I said, no, how could I? I've just met him. You know, I don't know his story. So he sits down beside me, this guy, and he takes out his uh, cell phone and he pulls up a picture of May 12, 2015, Philadelphia. Now that date may not mean anything to you, but it was life-changing to him. On that day, a train heading towards Philadelphia was going too fast and came off the rails. Anybody remember that story? You know that story of the Philadelphia train? There were nine people in the front car. The front car was kind of an executive car filled with young executives on the train. He and his wife were on the front car. He had just been back to uh, pick up some food back somewhere and had come up to to talk to his wife and had said to her hey um there is something crazy going on in this train there's either a crazy driver he's drunk i don't know what's going on but we're going way too fast no sooner did he sit down than the train then he said i was suddenly in a train car that was f- doing cartwheels if you google this train accident it shows you the car that he actually was in he showed me he said this is the front car it's all twisted mangled burnt everything there were two people who survived that particular car, him and his wife. Everyone else was killed in that car. In fact, when he was stumbling around the paramedics and the EMS people, they, they, they said, where were you? And he said, we were in that car. They said, no, you weren't in that car. Nobody survived that car. He said, we were in that car. But get this, as the thing settled there was one small window for which they could climb out of thing was starting to go on fire there was broken glass all kinds of things his wife's shoes were gone as they looked out the window his wife's two shoes were sitting on the ground like ready to step into so she wouldn't damage her feet as he slipped her down through the window he looked at me and he said I guess God has more things for me to do, you think? I'm not promising that your story can be that story if you're open-handed to God, but I'm suggesting there's a connection. I think there's a huge connection. Jesus owns it all. He goes on to say that not only is he appointed heir of all things, but through whom he made the universe... Jesus made it all. Look over at verse 10. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens and the, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus made it all. We, we have two groups of people in our world. There are those people who believe that the universe and the earth and all that's in it are a planned, intentional, purposeful, designed reality. And then there's a vast majority, a greater, even greater majority, I think it's ram- random, accidental, purposeless, by chance, most intellectual places that's where they land that it's random and purposeless and life is purposeless i believe with all my heart that we are purposefully made intentionally made that god has a purpose for you that god knows you cares about you that jesus christ you matter to Christ. You know, someday you need to just get alone out in the dark and, and look up and gaze up at the stars, and you need to take with you your Bible, and you need to open it to Psalm 139. You need to take out your phone, your cell phone, and turn your little flashlight thing on and shine it on Psalm 139 in the vastness, under the vastness of Christ's universe and hear his words to you. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. It doesn't get more intimate than this, that you, Christ, and you have this kind of relationship our God is not some sort of generic being, some generic divinity. Jesus Christ is not some, some sort of um, high up being in the universe who we will never attain to know or reach. When you rolled out of bed this morning, he was contemplating you. That's what it says here. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Jesus Christ supervised Every stage of your development until you were birthed into this world. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. were i to account them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And then he talks about after death. When I awake... I am still with you. Is that not good? Jesus made it all, intentionally made you. Are you fulfilling his plans for you? What are are his plans for you? Our general purpose, of course, is is to unite ourselves to Christ and his mission with passionate loyalty. That's our general purpose. But do you have a personal mission statement? There was only one person in the last service. How many have a personal mission statement? Do you have one? You, you all need to have a personal mission statement. My personal mission statement is to help people develop a life changing relationship with their Creator God, Jesus Christ. That's my personal mission statement. To help people develop a life changing relationship with their Creator God jesus christ you need to have a a personal mission statement in fact work on it this afternoon seriously you need to know what what does god you has god uniquely shaped you i noticed something else in this hebrews text jesus is the exact representation of god the radiance of who he is look at right after he made the universe the sun is the radiance of god's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word jesus is the exact representation of the god who is yahweh the great i am uh i want to clip through this quickly because there is great danger to get in a lot of trouble here uh, doctrinally so let me just say to you a couple of things about this jesus christ as the radiance of god is different than jesus christ as the reflection of god we are the reflection of jesus christ but christ preeminent superior is actually the radiance of god you know that the moon doesn't have its own light how many know that you all know that how many weren't sure about that okay you know That the moon is a reflection of the radiance of the sun. It doesn't generate its own light. Jesus Christ actually is the light of God. Jesus Christ is the one who shines the light of God into our lives, that our lives may now be a reflection of the glory of God. We're only a reflection, we're not a radiance. This is what sets him apart from all other. Not only that, he's the exact representation. Now, God is spirit, but God came to earth, took on the form of human life 100% man, 100% God. And he is the exact representation. If we ask the question what would God look like if he became a man? What would God be like if he became a man? There's only one being that has ever answered that question and that is jesus christ because he is the exact representation the exact imprint the exact stamp of god he has answered the question of what god is like the perfect representative of god in time and space And not only that, he sustains, it says here, he sustains all things by his powerful word. Do you realize that when you are in Christ, he keeps it all together? He keeps the universe together, and he keeps us together. He is holding his work in you together. That's what Jesus is doing. And he is unchangeable and eternal. It says here that um, if you notice, uh in the beginning O lord you laid the foundations verse 10 the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment you will roll them up like a robe like a garment they will be changed but you remain the same listen this whole all this talk about climate change and all that of course the climate is changing let's settle that once and for all the climate has been changing since the flood the universe is winding down the the, the scriptures tell us this that that all that you see all that's here this is why it's crazy for us to hold on to things and be so fixated on what is because the universe is someday like a garment that wears out jesus christ is so superior he's gonna roll it up and he's gonna fold up everything there is like a garment take the universe and he's gonna shout out that's a wrap folks that's what's happening so of course the climate is changing but it has nothing to do with the pollution of your little volvo car now i don't get me wrong i'm not i i'm not making a you know i'm not being cavalier here we're supposed to be good stewards of the universe that god has entrusted us with but please this is not about infinitesimally small tiny inconsequential little man thing in the universe Do you know how insignificant the billions of people are in the vastness of the universe that's winding down we are nothing it's amazing when you read psalm 139 and realize that the lord of glory who made the vastness of this gigantic universe knew what time you got up this morning and cared i mean seriously Do you know my Jesus? The preacher's like, and you're thinking of defecting? You're thinking of bailing? You're thinking of going on to something else? Like, what else would you go on to? Like, who else would you find? Who is like him? And so he says, he slips in here this little statement, after he had purified provided purification for sins stop Jesus alone made things right with God for you this is no small thing it's a amazing thing that Jesus Christ that God loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us. This is not a small thing. This is a huge thing. He talks here about we know that, that that at the end of this for us, at the end of this for people, there's a paycheck. The wages of sin is death. That's the paycheck that all of us are going to be handed. All of us every human being is appointed on a man wants to die we're gonna find that out in Hebrews and after that the judgment there's going to be a paycheck the wages of sin is death everybody's dying but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ alone But there's a segment of humanity who has paid attention to what they have heard, the preacher says. Who have recognized that they can cash in that paycheck for a gift, a free gift of God, of eternal life through Christ Jesus, who died that we might have our sins forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews chapter 9, 22. And only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from our sins, 1 John 1, 7. So destiny is distilled down to this simple to understand reality. It is Jesus as your Savior or hell for all eternity. It's, it's that simple that serious that profound that's what it comes down to so again the preacher's saying where are you going to go to what other religious leader are you going to follow to what other religious system are you going to go because no other leader no other system has made things right with God and unless things are made right with God you will go into an everlasting damnation eternity but Christ, for those who have been listening to what they have heard, has provided purification for sins so that you can have your sins forgiven for good. And finally, he says, so are you choosing, by the way, the purity of life you can have? And finally, he says this. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, finally, is at the top of everything. There's a, two uh, amazing things I want to point out to you here, and with that we'll be completed. When Jesus had provided the purification for sins, it says he sat down. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us perhaps, but it meant a whole lot to those people who understand the Old Testament priest system. You see, when the priests would sacrifice the animals in lieu of the sacrifice ultimately of the Lamb of God, They would all, they would stand and they would not sit down. Do you know why they wouldn't sit down? Tell me. Why didn't they sit down? There was a bold soul in the first service. It wasn't finished. The sacrifices had to continue over and over and over again. This is an amazing visual. When the Lamb of God provided purification for sins by his sacrifice, he went and sat down because it was finished. The once and for all sacrifice that takes care of the sins of the world was done, completed. And so he sat down. No more sacrifice. Preacher's saying, what are you going to do? Go back to a system of sacrifices? Our high priest sat down and then he concludes it by noting that he is much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs again, maybe not to us but to an Old Testament community when they heard this reference to the name there was no other Being in all the universe that was called the name, Yahweh, the great I am, by his name. When the preacher points out that Jesus Christ has inherited the name, he's ascribing to him the ultimate status and rank position in the universe That at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's why the preacher in Acts could say, there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we may be saved. He doesn't have to say who it is. The name is the name is God, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you are you worshiping him alone there is no other name and he sits at the right hand of the father that's the power side most of us are right handed that's what it means to be at the right hand it's the power side he is given the ultimate status Christ, We serve one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you know my Jesus? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Our Father, we have been Reminded, rehearsed, and um, by your word, profoundly made aware again of the greatness of Jesus Christ, who is superior, the ultimate one. I pray, O oh God, that you would help each of us. To examine our own hearts. Perhaps some of us have connected ourselves to Christianity, to a group of people, to a teaching, to a leader, but we have never been converted to Christ. It's in Him alone that all the promises of God reside. It's in him alone that our sins are forgiven. It's in him alone that our salvation is made sure. So I pray, Lord, that you will please awaken our hearts to this truth for Jesus' sake. Amen. Church, in closing, let me remind you that Christianity cannot hold you Christianity cannot save you. Christianity cannot keep you. This church cannot hold you. It can't save you. This church can't keep you. This preacher can't hold you. This preacher can't save you. This preacher can't keep you. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. He can hold you and he can save you, and he alone can keep you. Let's bow our heads. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, you know what, I think maybe I was just converted to Christianity or to a family gathering, a social reality, but I don't, I don't know that I was converted to Christ as Lord and Savior. Anybody here that said, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I know I need Christ in my life. Is there anybody here this morning? Anybody else? We'd love to pray with you right after the service. Meet one of our pastors here. Jesus' half-brother, his name was Jude. He gives a great benediction for this morning, and I will read it to you as our final prayer. Blessing. To him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen and amen.